This is the Master Brewers Podcast, brought to you by the Master Brewers Association of the Americas, a volunteer organization dedicated to continually improving the products and processes of our membership since 1887. Master Brewers brings you interviews with the industry's best and brightest in brewing science, technology, and operations. This Master Brewers podcast is proudly sponsored by Hopsteiner, a global leader in the hop industry focused on quality, sustainability, and innovation in new hop varieties and hop products. Contact our brewery sales team to provide you with the hop-related tools you need to craft your next great beer. For more information, visit hopsteiner.com. Additional support provided by... Every beer has a story, and that's why, for over 95 years, Gusmer Enterprises has offered a full line of solutions, including equipment, analytical instrumentation, and processing aids, all brought to you from leading suppliers and backed by strong technical support. For the solution to your story, go to gusmerbeer.com. And thanks also to Brew Ninja, a brewery software solution that streamlines your day-to-day operations, including inventory, accounting, sales, and compliance, so that you can focus on making great beer. Listeners of this podcast will receive a unique offer by going to GetBrewNinja.com and using the code BrewNinja21. It was pretty pretty immediate that we had a we had to rethink this one. So you call in the, the infantry and all the all the friends you know who know anything about uh, separation technologies and start figuring out what what a solution is. Generally speaking, any Master Brewers technical quarterly paper with a title that includes the phrase lessons learned is worth reading. Unless, of course, you prefer learning your lessons the hard way. This week on the show, a past president of Master Brewers joins us with an interesting story from an iconic American brewery. You'll hear about what the United States Golf Association can teach us about composting spent hops, how to calculate beer loss related to dry hopping, as well as numerous wastewater lessons that you may hope to never need to learn, but almost certainly will eventually. Hi, I'm uh, Jim Coor. I am with uh, Catalyst Beverage Consulting in Norwalk, Iowa, and uh, happy to be here, John. Jim, back in 2006, Matt Brewing Company began looking into wastewater pretreatment. What were the motivations behind that? I think it, it really uh, started with an introduction from the New York State Energy Consortium who introduced uh, Nick Matt to the technology provider. New York State was uh, very familiar with the Matt Brewery and their energy projects and desire to do things better, etc. And they also knew of the technology provider who was looking for a customer who uh, would be willing to trial this uh, anaerobic digester technology. We quickly got into doing some of the the conceptual work. Uh, you know, there's a, it was a lot of legwork to be done before any you know, real decisions could be made. I bet, and I bet that's um, kind of an overwhelming, like you know, where do you start type of thing. How did you go about <laughs> determining, you know, the appropriate size of a system like that? Well, that that was 
one of the the trickiest things given the age of the brewery itself um you know the the brewery or there has been a brewery on that site since the 1850s and it was just as you might expect one thing built on top of another and added on to and tacked on without a lot of um concern over those years about you know hey someday we might want to understand the volume of all this wastewater so the the hardest thing was to quantify the uh the qualities more so than the quantity of of wastewater and uh, so we had to identify um, sampling points throughout the cellars and uh and then uh, make a leap of faith if you if you want to call it <laughs> there's really nothing else other than that we, we did our best to, to calculate um and extrapolate the flow rates and the testing uh, of those samples and try to come up with a, an estimate of the total uh, loading on the wastewater side and how'd that work out for you um it uh, we we have a system with a lot of capacity. I'll leave it. <laughs> so it's a little oversized, you know. And then also that's complicated by the changes in uh, you know the craft industry uh, that happened after uh, you know things started to level off, and so there was some some growth that was built into the system, and then when that growth didn't happen as you know as quite as dramatically as expected. Um, you know, like I said, there's there's excess capacity, which I actually I opened up some other opportunities for us. You you might have uh, ended up with more capacity than you needed, but there was something that got underestimated. What was that? Yeah, hops of all things. Um, I, I I look at this and go, how how could I have not estimated or under you know even thought about the load of of hops that we put into the the dry hopping in particular. Um, you know, and then it's one of those just, you know, slap, slap your head sort of moments where once you see the the system that, that was installed to, to deal with the solids and generically solids, whether it was, you know, some stray malt husk that might, might slip through the system um, or the dry hopping, it was so undersized. That you just like, oh my god, what what were we thinking? We went from literally a six inch diameter strainer to a a four foot diameter strainer, and uh, the the sizing is just just. I mean, again, it just you look back and go, what we we really blew this one. <laughs> um, but you know, that's a, that's a lesson learned, and uh, luckily the the outcome worked well in our favor. All right. Well, let's let's hear about how you decided to move that wastewater around the brewery. Yeah. So again, the the building is um, if you've ever anyone's ever been there knows that it's multiple floors. Um, the, the the drain lines, some of them are buried in the walls and in the floors, and so it's it took a, a concerted effort on the part of the engineers we worked with, the maintenance staff, and and those of us who knew the building pretty well to identify the important drains that that carried the majority of the of the wastewater uh, to try to intercept those and direct them to the lift stations. We built one in the brew house to collect um, the flow off of the the cooker, the mash, the under the mash filter. 
and from the kettles and the whirlpool and then pump that through a new uh, pipe uh, over to the, the packaging area, which is was built adjacent to the cellar building, to a second lift station. And in that lift station, we collected the drains from the upper cellars. Uh, so we just take care of you know, gravity where most of the loading was. Um, uh, so we got the flow from the first lift station plus the cellars into that second lift station and from there it was pumped to the equalization tank which was a new structure built next to the digester mechanical building and the digesters themselves fun fact if you go to masterbrewers.com and you look at the um the image there that's actually uh an image of of the brew house yeah. from the matt, matt brewery too so yeah yeah i, I forgot that. to mention cool. that earlier <laughs> Okay, so how soon after you got all this going did you realize there was a pretty big problem? Well, <laughs> I'm sure, I, I don't remember exactly, but I'm sure we didn't make it more than a couple of days um, once we had flow established to those lift stations that we were plugging up that um, automatic strainer on a regular basis. Um, and this yeah. was largely the flow coming at a lift station too from the sellers that had all this dry hop material. Right. right. Yeah. So actually all of the flow because lift station one also, you know, flows through lift it's station in two. There. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It just, you, you can imagine a, a six inch by I think two foot diameter cylinder. That's probably less than a box of hops <laughs> plugged up, <laughs> uh, plugged up inside that. So so what was the band-aid? How did you how did you deal with that in in the short term? Well, you know that uh, we were fortunate in the city of Utica that that the uh, you know the flow had been just going down the drain all these years anyway, and and you know, we we were worked in in partnership or at least in communication with the the county sewer system, so they knew you know what what our our plans and our um, our changes were, and so literally we had to just bypass um, and let let the flow go where it always went because we we physically could not uh, get it through this system. Um, I, I think you could, wrote in the paper that that clogging that um, filter required you know two people to take it all apart and put it back together, and that was happening what multiple times a day uh, multiple times a day yeah. yeah and i say two people and then plus me getting yelled at for right. having, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh but yeah you try to be there for moral support but you know the it was pretty pretty immediate that we had a we had to rethink this one so you call in the, the infantry and all the all the friends you know who know anything about uh separation technologies and start figuring out what what a solution is we we had to discover well how big was the problem and and uh, you know how do we figure that out so the 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 quantity is fairly straightforward we know how many hops we put in to the system and so we know what the the, the approximate uh, dry weight would be but physically we know that that the pellets you know expand dramatically and they hold a lot of liquid and and they don't come down in a nice homogeneous um, flow from from the cellars and so we had to we did some work in the lab where we we just uh, on a very very small scale estimated the amount of liquid that that uh, that 
a certain quantity of of hop pellets would absorb and hold on to and then we did some some trial uh, filtering with some different straining materials uh, ending up with the, the wedge wire that worked well and getting that gap size correctly identified so we could maximize the flow rate and still retain the the mat the solid matter one of the issues we saw with any sort of um, circular uh, straining material with circular holes um, is things would get stuck in those holes, whether it was malt husks or uh, small uh, stems off of the pellets, etc. They would find their way into that, and then it's very difficult to clean and remove. But the wedge wire was nice because things would just kind of roll down it. We had virtually no retention of uh, those uh, those particles, so that was pretty obvious, pretty pretty quickly. And then it was just a matter of which uh, which gap size gave us the most uh, uh, throughput without without allowing any of the part- solid particles to pass through. And you had an interesting sidebar in there um, where you kind of ended up figuring out um, some good numbers to use to estimate loss for dry hop to beers. Talk about that a little bit. Yeah, the, it turned out that um, for every we we did everything in in twenty kilo boxes. So for every twenty kilo box of hops, they would retain without any sort of mechanical intervention. Um, would retain about one point four to one point five barrels of liquid, and that was an eye opener for me. Uh, never really looked at it that way, and so. We also verified that through some studies of in our whirlpool and our uh, and dry hopping in the cellars, where we compare the losses in uh, in non heavily hopped beers or non dry hop beers with those that that had a high hop load, and that number was consistent um, in the difference. So if you figured you have a fixed loss in a whirlpool with a standard beer with with no heavy hop load and then we would compare the difference between that fixed amount and the higher loss on a heavily hop uh, beer that difference would equate to somewhere in that 1.4 to 1.5 barrels per 20 kilos of hops and so we would use that uh, when we would estimate losses prior since we did a lot of contract brewing we had to you know give our customers expected yields etc on on different new recipes and so i would plug that number in we have our fixed typical loss and then we'd have you know some sort of additional loss based on the hop load and then you know as we looked at expansion and modernization of our sellers we would look at okay what's the opportunity to um to um, to reduce that loss through uh, tank design certification and other options where we could you know kind of mechanically uh, intervene and get that liquid out of out of that hot mass everything prior to that was the old-fashioned horizontal tanks with standpipes and, and things like that, that that the systems really didn't weren't designed for and didn't handle uh, a high solids load so now that you know how much material you've got to separate let's talk about the options yeah the um the the, the first option uh, 
we had some guys on the team that worked in the food industry and uh, the baby food industry specifically, and they had used uh, something called a microcut machine to uh, to really you know get food particles down to a very very small size as you might expect for for baby food. So we thought, well, geez, could we pass quickly pass this uh, this sediment through this machine and get it to pass through the strainer? But quickly, the the anaerobic digester experts put a, a halt to that idea because the solids are still there; they're just smaller, and and they actually might create more of an issue due to the pore size and the media in the uh, in the digester themselves. So we moved on to a more uh, traditional wastewater approach uh, to look at a side hill screen, which is a, it's a it's a beautiful design, very simple, and I've seen it in other breweries where their uh, location was more appropriate, where you just take this wedge wire and you you cascade the wastewater uh, down down the sloped uh, wedge wire, the water flows through and the uh, the hot the solids or whatever they are uh, tumble down into a collection basin and then off you go but since our second lift station was uh, inside the building and adjacent to some processing areas we wanted something that was more enclosed and cleanable so the the technology provider that we were working with suggested a rotary screen which is basically taking that wedge wire into a cylinder with some internal flighting um, and the uh, same concept the the wastewater is distributed in a nice uh, even flow across the uh, the the wedge wire but the, the the cylinder is is turning and the flights uh, uh, force the travel of the solids that are retained to the end uh, where they discharge out and in our case it was a, a an enclosed uh, unit that discharged into a uh, a dewatering screw, which is basically a a screw conveyor that pushes against a spring-loaded door, so that that it uh, and then it it has a perforated cylinder that it rides in, so that the solids would compress a little bit as they exited, and the liquid would drain through the perforations, and then the solids were discharged into a another hopper that we would we would empty uh, it's remarkable how how much hop oil and, and good aroma remained at that point i know <laughs> we've had a, a couple of and guests talk about that and you know yeah. possibilities of reusing that so i mean that's some, yeah. something everybody should look at a little bit i think yeah definitely okay so you've already got um separators in the brewery if i remember correctly you were doing some hot wort separation when i visited back probably about the time this was all going down. Did you consider another centrifuge to deal with this, or was that just too cross-prohibitive? Well, um, we really didn't consider it for any length of time because, it's again, it's, it's wastewater that we we're looking at. Um, the, the cost and complexity of a centrifuge, um, just it seemed like an overly um, complicated solution. Uh, Whereas this, you know, although we weren't too pleased with the amount of foot footprint that we had to give up to install this thing, um, 
it, in the end, it, I think it was a great decision to move forward with it because it's it's just such a simple design, and uh, mechanically, it's it's a drive motor and some bearings, and there's really not a lot of wear parts. Uh, takes very little maintenance, and uh, we just go over, we CIP it once in a while, and um, you know, it just it just runs. <laughs> so uh, I think it was a good good choice. And you didn't have a spare lauder ton laying around that you could no. use? Because <laughs> that seems like that would have been pretty convenient. You have no idea how many people have tried to sell me lauder tons over there. <laughs> Coming up. You know, it was really a team effort between the technology providers that we had and our maintenance and, and brewing staff and uh, the, the county solid waste authority and the owners of the Matt Brewing Company, Nick and Fred Matt, we all took the attitude that let's try to do the best we can or make the most of it. And it was really, you know, it's gratifying to work with a group of people that have that attitude. And then ultimately, when you see the final product, you know, it's, it's pretty cool. I'm John Bryce, and you're listening to the Master Brewers Podcast from the Master Brewers Association of the Americas. There's really only one thing that keeps this podcast going, and that's when listeners like you take the time to thank our sponsors. The next time you talk to a rep from one of these companies, be sure to thank them for their generous support. Get to know Proximity Malt. We malt superior, European-style, low-protein varieties grown close to home in Delaware and Colorado. Domestically grown, precisely malted to style. With our team of seasoned experts and two brand new malt houses, try what's really new in malt. Check us out at www.proximitymalt.com. Brew Monitor from Precision Fermentation works with your existing fermentation tanks to track dissolved oxygen, pH, gravity, pressure, temperature, and conductivity in real time from any smartphone, tablet, or PC. Get started for 30 days risk-free. Visit precisionfermentation.com mbaa. This episode is also sponsored by More Beer. Visit morebeerpro.com to browse ingredients, equipment, and more. Master Brewers Podcast is brought to you by RAR North Star Pills, a new base malt to set your compass by. RAR North Star Pills is crafted for brewers looking for a domestic Pilsner malt with low color and low modification. North Star Pills carries overtones of honey and sweet bread, supported by flavors and aromas of hay and nutty character, suitable for any beer style, but particularly craft brewed versions of classic lagers. Let RAR North Star Pills guide your craft by visiting bsgcraftbrewing.com or contact us at 1-800-374-2739. There's one more sponsor I should mention, and that's Fermentis, the global supplier of active dry yeast. You can listen to Kevin and Marcelo talk about the shelf life and performance of active dry yeast on episode 93. And here's what's coming up on the Master Brewers calendar. There's a Master Brewers webinar on April 13th called To Congress or Not to Congress, a topic you'll find familiar from our 200th episode. District St. Louis meets April 15th. District New England Zooms on April 16th. The Master Brewers Brewery Packaging Technology course begins April 21st. 
Don't miss the Tank Cleaning Fundamentals webinar May 18th. The Great District Northwest covers all things canning for their spring meeting by Zoom on May 21st. And the Master Brewer's Brewery Maintenance Systems course starts August 15th. There's finally a beer industry conference you can put on your calendar that might actually take place in person. The 2021 Master Brewers Conference will be October 28th through the 30th in Cleveland. Check out the full calendar of events at mbaa.com for more details or to find a district meeting near you. Master Brewers offers a wide range of resources for breweries of all sizes and stages. Stay current on the latest scientific advancements, technical information, and industry trends by joining Master Brewers. Join today and use offer code BEER2021 to save 20% on dues now through December 31st, 2021. Master Brewers, united we brew. Now back to the show. If the rotary screen does what it's supposed to do, now you've got a whole lot more solid ways to deal with, right? <laughs> yeah. Now we have a, a, a system we've invested in to pre-treat our wastewater, but now we've created a solid waste that, that we have not only a solid waste, but we have an expense that we weren't expecting and the labor involved in dealing with it. And you uh, mentioned, uh, you briefly mentioned earlier that dewatering screw, which is probably um, probably a pretty important thing because that solid waste is still going to be pretty wet and nobody wants to pay to haul water, right? Exactly, exactly. And not only that, but the mess that, that, that it would... Um, that it would create, you know, because we, you know, given the location of the screen, we'd have to fork, we have to fork truck that that uh, that hopper, you know, out of that building through the warehouse, you know, down the parking lot, and so we didn't want to be dragging, you know, beer and and uh, and hop residue through the building, of course, and certainly don't ever want it outside where it goes into the storm drain, so. It was really important to get that dry enough so that it wouldn't it wouldn't leak. Okay, so where does this new stream of solid waste go? <laughs> the um, we, we've always, as a brewery and the company, they've always done a, a, just a tremendous job on on recycling and working with the uh, working with the local authorities to find uh, avenues to you know as best we can. Uh, find a, a valuable um, alternative to putting things in the in the landfill, and so luckily, again, the the local solid waste authority had uh, I'd say maybe within five or so years prior to this coming up had uh, built a, uh, a a large compost facility for the um, the green waste that is collected in the county, and I have to give them a lot of credit because the we haven't seen too many places that that go through the effort to allow residents to to just curbside uh, leave their green waste and then you know picking up they picked up weekly uh, throughout the county and delivered to this location. So um, we talked to them initially about you know hey what are our options for this waste? And and they are the ones that said, well, hey, we've got this. Uh, 
this compost facility. Let's let's see if we can make that work. So we started to, you know, the plan came together to, to be able to deliver it to them on a regular basis, you know, at the lowest cost possible. Um, and then really it fell on them to figure out, you know, how compostable is the material and what's the system look like to, to make it work. And they knew that facility, they knew they would need to blend your, your spent hot material with their standard material. Talk a little bit about that. Yeah, the I'm not a composting expert, but the the I bet uh, you're more of one now than when you started. <laughs> that's true. Um, the the ratio of of uh, moisture to dry content, and then you know nitrogen and carbon and all those things have to be you know in a, in a sweet range in order to get it to work efficiently. And from their perspective, they need to make sure that it gets hot enough to kill off any any harmful pathogens or weed seeds and, and so forth. So, uh, you know, their initial experiment was, um, you know, one part um, of their solid waste. Let's see, we can get this right to four, four parts of uh, the spent hops. And that, that was too wet and it, it didn't reach temperature. It composted, but it took a long time and it didn't, it didn't reach the required temperature. So they they tried again at a one to two ratio and, and were able to successfully um, get it to reach temperature and the outcomes were uh, were analyzed and met all the criteria that they needed to um, you know to hit their their needs for their customers. However, legally they weren't allowed to sell anything that came from a commercial source to uh, their normal customer base. So they were willing to say that, you know, it's, it's free. We can't sell it, but anybody who wants it, um, it's free and brewery, you have first, first dibs on it. And then they were donating as well to some of the local, local charities and things to do projects and landscaping around their facilities. All right. That's pretty cool. Yeah, that is cool. During your research, you stumbled across a related publication that came from the United States Golf Association. Yeah, of all things. What did yeah. the golf pros teach you? Well, I wish they would teach me to, to hit a fairway wood, but um, they uh, what I learned there was the uh, they had done some work back in the, I think it was the 20s, where they just took... Um, straight spent hops not composted hops and spread it on the fairways to deal with clay soils with good success on improving the soil quality and uh and you know nutritional value or fertilizer value for their fairways um and i just thought that was kind of cool that <laughs> that was the that only is cool. re- the only reference i i found and, and granted my search wasn't wasn't probably as thorough as it maybe it could have been but uh i thought that was pretty cool that they had done at least that and then published it um back in the 20s and you actually have a link to that study which we'll include in the show notes as well if people want to check that out um one other thing they determined though was that um the hops definitely seem to break down slower right yeah and we and and that's the same same uh, experience that we had and, and I, I, I suggested in the article that it, it could be that uh, you know maybe the you know the anti um, microbial qualities of hops uh, 
you know, slow down or, or have an impact on the, the microbes that do the composting. It would be an interesting study for somebody to do if, if they had that interest um, to see if that was the case, or maybe it's, maybe it's some other quality that's, that's causing that. But it's interesting that both, both their experience and ours lined up in that regard. All right, this system has been operational for about eight years now. How yeah. has it performed? Yeah, it's re- really well. Um, like I said, uh, we try to keep it simple. Um, the pumps, you know, pumps a pump. You got to change the seals once in a while, and, and so forth. So that's to be expected. Um, the it's other than that, it's a big plumbing system. So piping, etc., just normal maintenance. Um, the uh, rotary drum. Uh, I don't think we've touched it, other than to clean it. Uh, bearings have been good. The uh, the dewatering system works like a charm. Uh, the only thing, the only adjustment we've made was we in, in the cat we have a catch basin underneath the rotary screen um, where some micro you know really really fine particles uh, could, could still get through the uh, the wedge wire. So we built a little baffle. Uh, we put a little weir system in there to. Uh, to try to let those settle out uh, before the the digester. The digester is really really sensitive to suspended solids. So uh, once we did that, then our digestion system, you know, ticked up to another higher level of performance. Uh, but cool. again, the everything is is as non mechanical as we can make it, uh, and as simple as we could, so that it didn't require a lot of maintenance or 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 input or labor to operate so i think we're in 24 7 yeah that's awesome let's hear about the economics of this system is it printing money and saving the planet (laughs) uh no um you know any i i I had a few people you know tell me when when they heard that we were putting in an anaerobic digester that that said well you, you realize what you're getting into (laughs) <laughs> I have to admit that no, I didn't realize what we we're getting into. But um, you know, it's been a good system. Um, we're challenged sometimes by flow rates uh, because it was oversized, and so the you know some of the heat loading and and so forth. And the the system, any system runs best kind of in a, in the middle of its range. And we were running pretty consistently on the low end, so we were always struggling with. Uh, with uh, keeping you know the engines running and the, and the digesters hot, et cetera. So there was a lot of inputs that that occurred that we weren't expecting. Uh, the uh, the opportunity that that brought up is we had a an available flow of an high a high alcohol high sugar uh, byproduct that that someone in upstate New York had that was like jet fuel for the digester. Yeah. So we we were able to haul that over and and slowly add that to our feed and really get a lot more uh, biogas production. And it was a nice clean product, so it didn't need any additional filtration, et cetera. And then, uh, you know, ultimately um, the technology of the biogas um, driven engine um, technology supplier, they had a system that would allow us to 
um, blend the biogas that we were producing with natural gas uh, to run the engine at its optimum um, output, which then made that whole system work more reliably and more efficiently so that we were uh, feeding that, um, that electricity back into the brewery's switch gear and, uh, and not only offsetting you know, our electricity purchases, which was one of the initial um, benefits of the system, but also as business grew, um, expanding the overall electrical capacity of our uh, of our building, uh, which you know, delay or or offset the need to expand that, so that uh, that cost was avoided. So you know, there's some really positive things um, that came out of it, and uh, you know, it's it's a system that now in year eight is you know running well and. Uh, you know the learning curve was pretty steep, and you know we had to make some some other mechanical tweaks and adjustments over over the course of, of the first few years, which you expect with a you should expect with with a fairly new technology. Um, but you know, I think we were we were pretty good and pretty open at uh, with working with the, the experts that were involved and thinking through and, and creatively solving these these challenges so. just how much uh how much electricity is it generating i mean is it a substantial amount uh the 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 generator itself is rated at 400 kw and it, it runs a little bit under that um with the blended gas what we were doing before was we 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 had a system and that was designed to to store the biogas and so we would store biogas until we had enough to run for a few hours and then we would run the the uh the generator at uh about half speed 200 kw in order to try to make it run more hours per day so that the heat we take the heat off of that engine and then that that goes back through and and heats the the uh the digester reactors to keep them at their optimum temperature so it's a it's a closed nice closed loop system when it's running at speed but when it's running too slow there isn't enough excess heat off the engines to keep the digesters warm etc so that was one of the 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 dilemmas of being oversized but then when we got the natural gas blending system we're able to reliably run the generator 24 hours a day and then that that excess heat is used to keep the digesters warm on a consistent, reliable basis, which allows those digester um, reactors to be optimized and and create the optimum amount of biogas. So it's a it's a snowball effect of, yeah. of getting it to run at its design speed. So uh, yeah, it's you know. All these things need little tweaks and some TLC here and there, but in general, you know, it, it took a while. But again, it was new technology, and I think we we helped the technology experts come up with better ways to design their future systems. <laughs> so we were kind of on the leading edge of some of this stuff, and uh, I think I've seen these solutions that we work through be, you know. Uh, designed into uh, other systems that were created later. Nice. Yeah. 
Jim, you're a practical brewer who gives a lot of measured practical advice. With this project in the rearview mirror, what advice do you have for others who might need a similar solution? Uh, if you are uh, fortunate enough to be building a, a new brewery, you know, keep in mind, a lot of people don't get into craft brewing because they love to have to treat wastewater, right? So it's it's probably the furthest, furthest I'd say thing. probably zero people get into it for that reason. <laughs> uh, it's the furthest thing from their mind, and it's a rude awakening when they get that, that first bill or the, the county uh, wastewater people come knocking on your door. Um, so, but... But think about it up front. It's, it's really hard to retrofit. And so think about where is your wastewater going to go? How are you going to treat it if you have to? Um, how are you going to measure it, um, et cetera? And, um, you know, alternatively, there's a lot of talk these days about side streaming. And is there a way to, before a product gets mixed with something else, uh, is there a way to collect it and find a, a value stream that you can can remove it and possibly even sell it uh, before it gets mixed with something that lowers its value? For instance, can you collect your spent yeast? Um, is there a local um, animal feed outlet for spent yeast, et cetera, before that yeast gets mixed with a lot of dry hopping uh, where you would lower its value or change the the outcome so think about things like that and and how you would deal with them should the need arise anytime we can turn what seems to be a waste stream into a value you know that's a good thing again i'll go jump back to the matt brewing company's history but we tracked our our recycling efforts and we we headed up to over just over 99% of our solid wastes were recycled. Um, and so, you know, it was down and, and most of that at some time had a value to it. So we were able to not only avoid the cost of landfill and all the other negative things, but we were also able to change, you know, turn it into a, a value stream where we could sell it for some, some, even if it was, Next to nothing, it was better than paying to get rid of it, and we're avoiding the landfill, which is the biggest thing. Ultimately, it's it's hard to get rid of that last little bit, but um, from the landfill stream. But I would keep keep looking for alternatives. Um, you know, things, technology changes, the the economics of of landfill changes, so people are opportunistic and they they create opportunities that we may not not always be aware of. So keep looking and trying to find a better way and, and do everything you can to, to stop putting things in the landfill. That was Master Brewers past president, Jim Coor, here on the Master Brewers podcast. I really loved reading Jim's TQ article. It was concise and extremely well-written. You can find it from a link in the show notes or by typing lessons learned into the industry's best search bar at mbaa.com. I joined District Mid-Atlantic back when it was dominated by large breweries, and I was often one of the only craft brewers in attendance. I'm so glad I joined. That membership has been incredibly impactful to my career, and I've made so many lifelong friends from those meetings. If you're not already a member, I highly encourage you to join. And there's no time like the present because new members can use promo code BEER2021 or the link in the show notes 
to save 20% on dues. Are you enjoying the Master Brewers podcast? Let me tell you about a simple way you can help us keep making more. Take a minute to thank our sponsors. There's no way we could produce this show without generous support from sponsors like Hopsteiner, Brew Ninja, Proximity Malt, BSG, Gussamer, and Precision Fermentation. So please, let them know you heard their message on the Master Brewers podcast and that you appreciate their support. Yeah.